Welcome back to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. I'm Graham Stark. And I'm Kathleen DeVere. And it's mustache time. I must ask you a question. What is this episode called? This episode is called Never Again. Never Again. Well, that sounds lighthearted. Never Again, dot, 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 never again. Oh, an ellipsis. Uh-huh. That, that's how you know they mean business. Yep. I'm out of mustache puns, by the way. That was it? That was all the mustache puns you had? Well, how many mustache puns can you think of? I don't know. We've already used that one as the thing. Well, that's why I said I'm out of mustache puns. If you can think of a different one, though, go for it. Mm, Nope. Yeah, see, it's harder than it looks. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned lighthearted. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a perfectly lighthearted name for an episode. What's this episode about, Graham? Well, last time we were discussing how lighthearted and fun and carefree Magnum was... Uh, it was an episode about the Troubles. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, this time they've tried to, you know, they've they've brought it back a little bit. It's not quite as extreme as the Troubles. It's only the literal Holocaust. Yeah. Uh, I think perhaps that you should know if I ever talk about how lighthearted Magnum is, it's probably going to be a pretty heavy episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, we got Nazis, we got Holocaust survivors. It's... Um, a barrel of monkeys. Yeah, it's a whole thing. We start with... Really nice aerial shot of Honolulu. Mm-hmm. See all the big resorts and skyscrapers downtown, uh, and shots of planes under a phone call, which is just it's him, and he's on to me. That's sort of it. You don't really get any other context except when the plane lands. Then you hear he and his wife own a shirt shop, and you're like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but sure. And that's that's all the that's all you have in that sort of intro. There's. More shots of more aerial shots and the planes landing, and that's about it. Under the opening titles, which says, by the way, in the opening titles, because it says who directs the episode, this episode was directed by Robert Loja. Really? Yeah. Longtime character actor Robert Loja, who was in the first episode, by the way. He was in the pilot, the uh, Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii. Oh. As Philippe Trousseau. Who who was Philippe Trousseau? Uh, sorry, um, Laboule. It's, oh. The, his character's real name was. Yeah. Anyway, where else might you know? Robert Loja from, um, he was in Scarface. He was in some of the Pink Panther movies. He was in Charlie's Angels. He was in The Rockford Files, uh, The Six Million Dollar Man. He was uh, just in a lot of TV in the 70s and 80s. He was a working character actor who was in a ton of stuff. He had his own series for a while, actually, Mancuso FBI. Oh, that sounds very 70s. He played Nick Mancuso. It actually uh, started in 1989. Went for one season, it looks like, according to IMDb. Oh, a classic. Yeah. Um, but he's been in a lot of stuff. I think most recently people might know him from the Robert Loja joke cutaway in an episode of Family Guy. Um, I mean, or not. So yeah, Robert I didn't, Loja. I, did, I didn't know he was a director. I mean, maybe he's the director the same way that Jonathan Frakes is a director. Like, he's mostly an actor, but he does know how to direct. Mm-hmm. I assume so. So who is it who we hear on the plane? Who is it who runs who he and his wife run the shirt shop. We see Saul Greenberg talking to a pedicab operator out front as he's giving him uniforms for the for the pedicab group. And it's clear that Saul and his wife, Lena, who run the shirt shop and tailors and... And like screen printing. Screen printing and things, that they are uh, affable and uh, known in the area. Yeah, they seem really friendly. He seems like a charming old Jewish grandfather, basically. Mm-hmm. Whoever it is who's gotten off the plane... Notably driving a Mercedes, mm-hmm. who you can't see. You know, they're talking like, where is it? You know, should we go to the hotel first? No, I want to see where the store is. And they drive past the store. And uh, and they're like, but don't stay too long. He'll notice. And it's like, what is going on? Yeah, and 
after they'd driven by, Saul feels weird. He feels like something is up. He sort of grabs his arm, you know, like, I can feel the rain in my bones, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he decides to close the store. And uh, his wife, Lena, is like, why, what's wrong? He's like, I, it's, I can feel it. It's bad. We're closing the store. And you're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Well, these seem like very nice old people. Mm-hmm. Right? And we'll find out more about them, but not before we go to the King Kamehameha Club. Woo! Where Magnum is, uh, well, actually... Magnum's not doing much in this scene. Rick and TC and the uh, bartender are watching Magnum out the window. He's on the pool deck talking to a client, and they're judging his body language. Yeah, the client is a hot Asian lady. Mm -hmm. They hug because she's feeling sad, and then she slaps him and then storms off, and they come inside, and uh, Magnum laments, why is it that when I find out what people hire me to find out, they take it out on me? Well, I mean, nobody wants to hire a private investigator to follow their cheating husband to find out, in fact, their husband is cheating on them with a much younger, hotter woman. Like, I mean, nobody wants that. Why are you going to hit the private investigator? I don't know. Maybe he didn't break it. I feel that Magnum could break that news to somebody delicately. Yeah, probably. I think I have confidence in Magnum's ability to do that. Um, Then Saul uh, Greenberg, who we just saw at the the shop, he shows up to the King Kamehameha Club. Rick knows him. Magnum knows him. The bartender knows him. Everybody knows him. Yeah, because he's dropping off a bunch of... uh, uh, waiter uniforms. Yeah. And uh, they are they comment that, boy, these are done early. They weren't supposed to be done till Tuesday. And Saul's like, oh, we are going on a vacation. Tomorrow. We're going on vacation tomorrow because Lena's been after me for a while. And you know what? We figured, yeah, it's time for vacation. We're going to New York, hang out with some relatives. It'll be great. And uh, it's clear that everyone knows. And by the way, Saul, a name that now you cannot say without someone making a Breaking Bad joke, uh, just seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, he seems super affable, and they're all laughing and talking. But Magnum is like sensing something's a little bit off with him. He's like, "This is kind of weird. You guys don't do vacations ever, right?" Yeah. And then he's like, "No, Lena said that unless we went, she'd leave me for a younger man. And at my age, any man is a younger man, or even an old man is a younger man." <laughs> right. That was a good. So that was a good line. So uh, Rick pays him. He takes off. Then Rick is looking at the waiter uniforms and is like, "Oh, my tux alterations are in here as well." Uh, he didn't say anything about that, and it wasn't on the receipt. So I've I've shorted him, and like probably a non insignificant amount if it's tux, tux alterations. Yeah, and so Magnum's like, well, hey, you know what? Hop in the car. I'm going that way. You know, you can settle up. You know, we can wish bon voyage to Lena, and then we can take off and do whatever else we were going to do today. Yeah, it's clear that like we've never met these characters before, but they have, this is like they've clearly known these people for years. Yeah, so nice. So they head over there, and there's the the pedicab operator from before is just hanging out out front and Magnum goes up and uh, says hi to him because the store is shuttered. Like the windows are papered over and it says out of business. Magnum and Rick are like, what? What? So Rick goes and tries to find out something from the neighbor. Magnum talks to the pedicab guy and the, and the pedicab guy's like, yeah, I don't know what happened either. I was here this morning and we were just talking about hanging out next week and now they're, now they're out of business. Also, the pedicab guy asks Magnum if he wants a ride. Magnum says, no, I have a car gestures to the to the Ferrari. The pedicab guy says, that's your ride? Magnum says, yes. And the pedicab operator, who Magnum does not know and has and never, has met, never met, laughs at Magnum for the very notion that he would own that car. Nice callback to that reoccurring gag from the first like couple episodes. This guy doesn't even know him. All those other people like had at least a passing acquaintance. Yeah. This guy doesn't even know him and thinks it's hilarious. Maybe it's just Magnum's clothes. Maybe his clothes aren't fancy enough to be Ferrari fancy. $60,000 fancy. I guess. I don't know. Anyhow. So Rick Rick comes out of the neighbors and says they didn't know anything either, but yeah, they're the it's empty inside. Lena and Saul are gone. 
And they're like, that's really weird. So let's go to their place because we know where they live, apparently, because we're that friendly. Yeah. So let's. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch for me. Maybe a little, but they head over there. Rick is like, Magnum, we're meddling. We're meddling, Magnum. Magnum, we are now meddling as they're driving over there. And Magnum's like, no, no, Rick, we are seeing if there's anything wrong. Yeah, right? we, we are, are saying goodbye to them on vacation and, and seeing being if they need help. Good friends, yeah. responsible neighbors. Yeah, exactly. And there's an ambulance outside of the house, and they they run up, and Saul is on a stretcher being loaded into the back, and they're like, Saul, what's wrong? And one of the ambulance guys just sort of is like, I don't know, something, heart attack, we're dealing with it. You know, like, leave me alone, I'm trying to do my job here. I mean, brisk, but fair. Yeah, exactly. You and don't typically want an ambulance driver to put down the stretcher, light up a cigarette, tell a random passerby exactly what's going on while you're having a heart attack. Yeah, Magnum's like, uh, uh, well, uh, which hospital are you going to? And the guy's like, Honolulu General, and they drive away, and then Magnum and Rick are like, well, holy crap, what... Well, where's where's Lena? And they go inside, and they look around the house, and they can't... There's no Lena. There's, there's no Lena anywhere. And Rick... <laughs> Rick, sit. Rick, who the hell sits on a piano? Yeah, like we're watching this intense scene, and they're like, "Lena, Lena, they're not here." And Magnum's like, "Ah, oh, crap. We have to, we have to tell her what happened, right?" And then Rick kind of like sprawls across the piano, like the. I mean, like the the, it's, it's the, a, the what, top is down. What are they called? Like a baby grand? Is that what those it's are? An, yeah, it's like an upright. Yeah, it's yeah. That's what it is. Not, not not yeah. Not a baby grand. An upright piano, the kind that you can put against the wall, right? And the the lid. <laughs> Is down, whatever it is, but he sits on it like, uh, like you're like a chaise lounge. No, like, well, like you're sitting, like, you got your leg up on a desk, right? He's got like one butt cheek and his whole thigh across the who front does of the... that to a piano? I don't know. Like, Graham and I both Rick looked does. at each other and we're yeah. like, what the f is that, Rick? Come on, that is just rude. So, Magnum's like, this is weird. Uh, he finds a prescription, and he's like, this is really weird. That We just talked to him like an hour ago, and that they were suddenly going on vacation, and now they're going out of business, and then this happened. This is really strange. This is twinging Magnum's, like, mystery sense. Yeah. Fair play to that, right? Yeah. So he's like, Rick, you stay here. You let her down gently. I'm going to go to the hospital. Rick's like, how am I supposed to let her down gently? <laughs> he's like, I don't know. You're better at this than I am. And Rick's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Provably not. You see uh, Rick, like, parsing it out. He's like, Lena, so uh, Saul has... Uh, had not a great afternoon. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like comically bad. Yeah. So Magnum gets to Honolulu General and he's like, hey, could you look for Saul Greenberg? He just got admitted, a possible heart attack. And she's like, I uh, don't see that. And he's like, what? The ambulance left like five minutes before I did. It should have should have already been here. And she's like, we haven't admitted an ambulance in six hours. What company was the ambulance? It was like International Health or Yeah, it was something. like a private ambulance. And so she's like, okay, I'll contact them and contacts International Health and it's like they haven't dispatched an ambulance since 8 o'clock last night. I find it hard to believe that Honolulu has that few emergencies coming into the hospital. Yeah, so it's like, this is weird. Like, Yeah, where is Saul? Yeah. Like, he was clearly in medical distress. He was being loaded into an ambulance. He didn't go to a different hospital. What the F is going on? Yeah, and his doctor is there. Dr. Kessler is on the prescription. She's And he's like, is this guy here? And she's like, yeah, he's in surgery, but I'll, I'll get him to come and find you when, when, when he gets out. When he's not, you know, elbow deep in somebody's chest. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lena shows up with Rick. She's quite upset. Yeah. Cops show up. Lena's not being helpful. She's just sort of like rambling and Magnum's like, okay, okay, let me take her aside and talk to her. And, and the cop's like, yes, please, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And Magnum's like, okay, Lena, I need the truth here because this is, something is very weird here. Like, you don't just get random kidnapped. 
And then if somebody has been rando kidnapped, the reasonable thing to do is be like, police, police, please help me. And st- explain things to the cops instead of just like being obtuse. Yeah. And she's like, well, you will think I'm nuts if I tell you this. And Magnum's like, no, I won't. What's the problem? And she's like, we're being chased by Nazis. And Magnum is like, Nazis? Nazis? Because, I mean, this is like 1981. Nazis. And she's like, see, I told you. He's like, no, 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 I believe you. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I don't think you're you're nuts. I'm just like, Nazis? (laughs) Like, I think that's fair to be like, okay, I don't think you're crazy. I I, I believe you, but I can still be surprised. Not an antagonist that comes up regularly in the 1980s. Yeah. And so she's like, well, look, we were part of, she says Masada team. The way that it's presented in the episode, the Masada team was a uh, branch of the Israeli Secret Service, and she says that Saul used to be a high-ranking officer. She says, yeah, like a lieutenant commander or something. Yeah, and that he would still know all their operating practices, that he's been kidnapped by neo-Nazis, basically. He's like, well, that's okay. And she's like, no, they want him alive because he knows names and operating procedures and locations of people, right? Like, clearly, yeah. they've gone here to retire and to lay undercover. But, I mean, you know, if he had been in this, he would have a lot of sensitive information. Yeah. Speaking of information, what's up with uh, Mossad, okay. which is the real thing? Yeah. Mossad is the Israeli Secret Service. If you want to look it up, it's M-O-S-S-A-D. Mossad does have a secretive sort of assassination wing uh, called the Kidon. There's not a lot of details known about the Kidon because they're like, this is the branch of people that they actually do send out to kill war criminals. But we do know that they have, in fact, did spend a lot of time hunting down Nazis, specifically in the 1960s, which kind of fits with the timeline of uh, Saul and Lena. In 1960, they discovered that uh, Nazi leader Adolf Eichmann was hiding out in Argentina. And then they kidnapped him from Argentina and brought him back to Israel. And then they tried him for his crimes and hung him. And the international community was kind of like, you probably shouldn't do that. But also, uh, they were kind of okay with it because uh, Adolf Eichmann was a German uh, SS commander and one was one of the major organizers of the Holocaust. Yeah, and so, yeah, the international community is like, you know, it's not cool to go into other countries and kidnap people. But... But this guy was a terrible guy, and he had, in fact, escaped the war crimes tribunal after World War II. They- so so don't do that again, Mossad, or we'll be mad at you. Well, but uh, they, uh, they did not listen to the word of the international community, because in uh, 1965, they assassinated a Latvian Nazi collaborator, uh, Herbert Kukers, in Uruguay. Herbert Kukers was otherwise known as the Butcher of Riga. Uh, <laughs> and so the international community once again was like, hey, now we said don't do that, and we meant it, but we'll give you another warning because he's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Mossad also very famous for assassinating a ton of people sort of in the 70s and 80s. They assassinated a lot of people in the PLO. They assassinated all the people who organized the Munich Massacre, which was, of course, the killing of Israeli athletes mm-hmm. at the Munich Olympics, all sorts of stuff. Basically, it's an established known fact that Mossad had an assassination force that would go out and find Nazi war criminals and people who had somehow like conducted terrorist activities against Israel, yeah. and they would kill them. And in in fact, they are coming to help because Lena says, our people are coming. And it's like, ooh, I don't want to get in between Mossad and the Nazis, uh, but you should probably at least cooperate with the police. 
And Lena is very insistent. She's like, no, it's just going to get, it's going to get really complicated. And you can kind of believe that because all of these Mossad things are not technically condoned by a lot of these other countries. And Mossad coming into American soil to assassinate people would be very messy. Yeah. Even though Israel and the USA are allies, obviously, but still. Yeah. So they finish reporting to the cops and then Magnum's like, Lena will be staying with me at the Robin Masters estate, which I had forgotten until it, it is said like four times in this scene that the estate is called Robin's Nest. Which is so cute. It's adorable. And she's like, no, I she's want like, to stay at my own she's house. She's like, I want to stay at my own house so that they can contact me. And he's like, no, no, they obviously know where that is. They don't know where Robin's Nest is. No one knows you'll be staying there. You're staying with me. And this is just before we get to meet Dr. Kessler, who's Saul Greenberg's doctor. But Lena says that's not his doctor. And Dr. Kessler says, I know I've been... Saul's doctor for the last uh, month or so while his doctor has been on vacation. I've been helping him out with his heart because he's got a weak heart. And Magnum's like, is this your prescription? He's like, yeah, that's nitroglycerin for his weak heart. And it's like, that's a little weird that he he has a different doctor than he usually does. I mean, it's not like crazy, but it's interesting to note. Yeah. And so Magnum eventually convinces Lena that she will stay at Robin's Nest. And uh, Rick will set up a thing to forward phone calls to them there so that if someone tries to contact Lena at uh, her house, then they can find out about it at Robin's Nest. And then we cut to a boat. It's a boat called the Cherokee. It's Mm -hmm. moored in presumably Honolulu Marina or something. And the two guys dressed in all black who were the ambulance drivers are there with Saul, who's totally out of it. But then once they leave the room, he gets up because he was pretending and he tries to leave. But then their f- their phone rings. They turn around, see him, get him, throw him down, re-inject him, get on the phone. And they're like, hey, he sorry, he tried to escape, but we got him. We had to inject him again. And on the other side of the phone is Dr. Dr. Kessler, who says, you got to be careful. He has a weak heart. You can't. Give him too high of a dose. And they're like, we know what we're doing. It's fine. It's worth noting, all these guys have plain old American accents. Yeah. Also, these guys are very swarthy looking neo-Nazis. I have to say, they have deep tans. Yeah. Well, Um, they've obviously been in Hawaii for a while. Yeah. Interestingly enough, they are also mentioning that they're going to go after Saul's wife, Lena. Because she might know something. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, these guys are mean serious freaking business. Yeah. Holy crap. And And Kessler knows where Lena is. Because he overheard the Robin's Nest conversation. Yeah. Cut to Higgins (laughs) answering the Robin Master's bat phone again, and it's Magnum, and Higgins says, how did you get this number? I just changed it. And Magnum's like, just lucky, I guess. Look, Higgins. uh, (laughs) Call off Zeus and Apollo. Yeah, I need you to call off Zeus and Apollo because I'm bringing bringing Lena inside. Um, So they're they're hanging out in in the main room of the estate, and Higgins sees Lena's tattoo because it's not just that they were in Mossad they are also Holocaust survivors and you're like oh it's like oh geez I guess that's why you were into hunting Nazis then she had uh, bracelets on her wrist to cover the tattoo because she doesn't like to be reminded of it but yeah they were kidding yeah they were both in a camp in Poland Higgins who fought in the war right was like geez my huge condolences like that's oof so Higgins takes care of Lena while Magnum goes back to her place to get her clothes. Yeah, because Lena's like, I want to go home and get my stuff. And he's like, no, you will stay here. I will get your stuff. And she's like, you don't know what to bring. He's like, I'll bring a little bit of everything. And then Magnum drives over and he's like, I have a bad feeling about this. Yes, and he should because we cut back to the estate and we see more Frogemen. Yes, it's the two swarthy, tanned gentlemen from earlier and they are breaking into the estate. They're boating up to the front and getting onto the lawn. 
And uh, they're not actually being frogmen. They're actually just rowing a boat ashore. They're not messing around, too. They're, like, snipping the barbed wire and going over the top of the fence. Like, they're seriously prepared for infiltration here, which is bad news. Yeah. And we cut back inside. Higgins is showing Lena uh, pictures from his his younger days. And War Zeus, stuff. Zeus and Apollo are restless, but not in the way that they are when Magnum gets home. They're yeah. restless in a notably different way that Higgins is concerned by. So Higgins gets a gun, and not just any gun, actually. He gets a Walther P-38, which is the um, uh, German semi-automatic uh, pistol, known as the, the most popular souvenir handgun of the European theater in it's, World War II. It's what you pick off a dead Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, ironic. Yeah. But um, meanwhile, we see Magnum. He's at Saul and Lena's house. He's packing. And like my like my notes here say, this seems like very incompetent packing. Like he like opens up a drawer, yeah, grabs two pairs of underpants. Your biggest problem with the episode up the other is drawer, how badly he is packing this yeah, luggage. Yeah, grabs like a supportive undergarment, which no woman needs. Like you have that, but it's not a high priority item. Like a corset or something. Yeah, puts that in. And then like, I'm like, no, more underpants, less corsets. Anyhow, this is, like I would not want Magnum to pack my stuff and then he sees he sees on her dresser because he knocks this off as he's going through is this old picture of Saul and Lena in the 1950s and he's like looks at them and I mean they look younger this is probably a really really well done fake obviously from yeah, the prop making department I, I, I only just thought of that I don't know how quite how they did that I mean it's it's just a photo so it's possible that they just like put them in makeup and stuff like that and yeah. had some wigs and then like airbrushed out some wrinkles yeah. on their faces because it's it's definitely the same actors but yeah, like, and he looks at them and he's like, this must have been taken in like the early 50s, judging by the style and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but yeah, they look exactly the same. So I can totally see how somebody would recognize them. And he yeah. takes the photo and grabs her stuff and heads back to Robin's nest. Meanwhile, we get to see Action Higgins because he's got his gun. He's going outside and he's like, there's something out there. So he turns on the estate lights, which flood the lawn in light. And he sees that there's the two guys with, with hunting rifles crossing the lawn and they're like dive behind trees or whatever. So Higgins loops around, just goes outside. All he has is a pistol. He goes outside, catches a guy trying to get away, goes like, halt, fires in the air. And the guy like freezes, puts his hands up, puts the gun on the ground, slowly turns around and while, while, while Higgins has the pistol trained on him. And then he gets raptured. Clever girl. Yeah. The other one comes up around the side. But where are Zeus and Apollo in all this? Well, they, he told Zeus and Apollo to wait inside with Lena. And guard her. And guard her because they're incredibly competent guard dogs. And she lets them outside to go help Higgins. Yeah, because she hears a gunshot. Yeah. And she's like, go, help. <laughs> and the last we see of Higgins is the guy popping out from the side, like I say, like the raptor in Jurassic Park. And then we see Magnum arrive and he finds Higgins out in the middle of the... Yeah, lying prone. In, in, in the middle of the grass. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is really bad. This is really bad. And, uh, and Zeus and Apollo are guarding his body. Yeah, and he and he goes up to Higgins and realizes that Higgins has been hit with a trank dart. And Zeus and Apollo are there, and Lena's gone. Uh-oh. And so are, the, so are who, whoever did this to Higgins. Yeah. So Magnum calls TC, who's getting his books done, and is like, I need you to come over here right now and take Higgins to the hospital because he's been hit with a trank dart, and he needs help, like, now. And uh, he sees that, like, the... There's like some broken glass. It looks like maybe Lena was also hit with the trank dart and taken away. And uh, he's not sure exactly what happened. We find ourselves in the hospital where Higgins feels hopelessly inebriated. Mm-hmm. And TC just starts messing with his bed for no reason. 
I just, feel like that's the, that's TCU's subtle revenge for all of the crap that Higgins has given them over the years. Yeah, he just he's like he picks up the remote control for the bed and pretends to be like turning on the television and not sure why it's working. And Higgins is in like the middle of a sentence and the bed starts like tilting up and adjusting and the leg end goes up and the leg end goes down and he's like, What are you doing? And TC's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I thought I was just operating the television. Higgins is like, will you please go away? Yeah, Higgins is unimpressed. Magnum is amused. Magnum's glad that Higgins is safe, and Higgins is glad that he's safe and glad that Zeus and Apollo are safe. He's actually much more concerned about Zeus and Apollo. As like, could you please feed the dogs? There are steaks in the freezer. And Magnum <laughs> looks at him like, are you kidding me? He's like, really? You feed these dogs steak? Really? And Higgins is like, fine, you can have a steak as well. <laughs> You're good enough to eat what my dogs eat. Yeah. But since he's in the hospital, Magnum's like... This is this is getting weirder and weirder. No one else knew where Lena was. I knew, Higgins knew, Rick knew, but Dr. Kessler was there. So Dr. Kessler is in on this. And Magnum remembers that Lena told him that Saul had been sort of having these premonitions for about a month, which coincides nicely as to when Dr. Kessler took over for his regular doctor. So he asked the front desk if Kessler's around. And they're like, well, he might be. Sometimes he works late. His office is just down there. You can go check. He's and- going on vacation tomorrow. And which is weird. And so Magnum's like, all right, I will go take a look and lets himself into Kessler's office. Kessler's not there. He sort of pokes around a bit. There's nothing weird. He finds Saul's uh, medical records. Again, there's nothing weird. That makes sense. They'd be out considering they were just asking about him. Yeah, but there's nothing like strange about it. So he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm playing the hunch. Picks up the phone, calls Dr. Kessler's house. Dr. Kessler answers the phone and Magnum just says, yes, hello. I'm looking for Saul or Lena Greenberg. Are they available? (laughs) Just, like, really politely, like... Like, no selling it. Like, hi, I'm calling on behalf of whoever. And Dr. Kessler's like, what? Who? Who is this? What are... What? What's going on? Yeah. And Magnum's basically like, look, I know what's up. I know you have them. You know, stop screwing around with me. And, and Kessler, he's like, I'll call the police. And he's like, I'd love to talk to the police about some Nazi stuff. And yeah. he's like... Okay, fine. Come over here. Yeah, come to my house alone, and we'll talk about it. And Magnum's like, sure, sure, alone. He says that obviously Kessler might bring in some of his friends, but so would I. And cut to Rick dressed like he works at a sushi restaurant or like Mm -hmm. a Benihana. Yeah, more like a Benihana. (laughs) Yeah, driving up. And uh, the plan is that Rick will ring the doorbell and pretend to be a sushi delivery place. Now, before we actually get into the the rest of the plot here, I do want to talk about that there are there. This is a beautifully shot show. It really is. But there are some bad day for night shots in this episode. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. This is pretty disappointing. There's there was ones earlier where the two guys were breaking into Robin Masters' estate, and they were okay. They could have like it was like is this day for night? I mean, there's some pretty harsh shadows coming off the gate, but it also could be just that they it is night and they have filming lights on. Yeah. I should explain briefly what day for night is in case anyone's familiar with it. I'm sure people have heard the term, but what it means is in filming, sometimes you can't shoot at night with crazy big lights. And so what you have to do is you shoot during the day, during normal daylight. And then in post-production, you drop down the brights, you you make the, the, the shadows darker, you put a blue cast over everything, and you make it look like a scene that is shot at night uh, just through color and saturation correction. You, you can actually get away with a lot with this technique, but what's a big giveaway is when there's clearly like harsh light and shadows, even mm-hmm. if everything's dark. Or if there's like 
very brightly colored objects in the background um, that, that are being hit by sunlight. Yes, exactly. So, and because obviously, if you've ever been out at night and like as the sun is going down, uh, the sort of the saturation of everything around you diminishes, right? Because it's not being hit with a lot of direct light, so there's yeah. it's not able to bounce off the object and send the information into your eyes, right? Which is why you can't see colors well at night. But in a scene like this, unless they've actually gone and like very carefully sort of desaturated things, like one of the scenes that's coming up is Magnum is trying to get into Dr. Kessler's house and there is a bright red canoe in the background that's still quite brightly colored. And that's kind of a dead giveaway for day for night. Well, the scene while they're driving up as well, like it's pr- it's pretty bad. Like there's like bright, there's bushes in the background. They're clearly being hit by, mm-hmm. by sunlight. And you see Rick get out of the car and walk towards the front door. There's like a harsh shadow on the ground that is not moonlight. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it's it's pretty bad. Oh, well. Can't be perfect. But otherwise, it's a good episode. Vast improvement over previous episodes. When Rick rings the doorbell and pretends to be a sushi delivery, he does not do a Mickey Rooney accent. Uh, I mean, honestly, doing even a less offensive Mickey Rooney accent would have been an improvement over the last one he did. But what does he say when he gets at the door? He says, Ahi sushi delivery, your wish for fish has come true. Who says that? Uh, presumably, Ahi sushi delivery. But he doesn't... He Again, no shred of an accent. So good job, Rick. Yay. Um, I'm, I'm glad to, we haven't notched up to that's racist count in a couple of podcasts, actually. Yeah. But they get inside, and Ke- Dr. Kessler's Nazi friends are not there, and Saul is not there, and Lena is not there. I mean, the house is, like, clearly empty. And the only person who is there is Dr. Kessler, and he's dead. Womp, womp, womp. And they're like, oh, no. This must mean that the Mossad team got to him first, now we're no closer to finding them and they're just sort of trying to suss everything out and they see that Dr. Kessler has a Holocaust. Yeah, a concentration camp tattoo. He has tattoo. a concentration camp tattoo. And they're like, what is, why does the Nazi guy have the tattoo? And Magnum's like, well, think about it. Rick, what's the best way to hide that you were a Nazi? That you were a Nazi. And Rick's like, put on a yarmulke and avoid bacon. And they're like, yeah, this not Dr. Kessler was a Nazi and he was just pre- he was pretending to be to be Jewish so that people wouldn't hassle him about and then his former Nazi connections. All the better to hunt down Jews, right? It's perfect. But then Magnum pulls out the photograph from the 1950s of Saul and Lena and looks at it. They're on the deck of a cruise ship and Lena's waving with her right hand. There's and no her tattoo. wrist doesn't have a tattoo. And he realizes that everything he said was totally true. That's the best way to hide if you're a Nazi. Dr. Kessler was not the Nazi. Saul and Lena are. And me and Graham are like, what? Because this comes completely out of left field. It is, what? Crazy. Yeah. And then you go back to the boat where... Saul is coming too, and the two guys dressed in all black who were the ambulance drivers who broke into Robin's Nest, they're wearing Star of David necklaces. They're those guys. They're the Mossad team. Yeah, they've come down to hunt Saul and Lena, former Nazis. Oh my God. And then you're like, you know what? This actually makes a lot more sense historically. Like, neo Nazis, for the most part, tried to, or like Nazis tried to lay low, right? (laughs) After World War II, because. A lot of people wanted to send them to jail and kill them for what they did. And you know what? Rightly so. Except uh, in contrast to laying low, Lena sneaks onto the boat with a scalpel and kills both the guys from Mossad. Yeah, Lena is maybe an old lady, but clearly she knows what she is up to. Yeah, well, because also uh, they noted that 
uh, when Kessler was dead, his throat was slit. And Magnum's like, this seems awful dirty for Mossad. Yeah. <laughs> and she slices the throats of the guys in the boat. But Saul is going to die because they did overdo his dosage. Mm -hmm. He does legitimately have a weak heart. And Magnum realizes that Saul, that Saul and Lena, Saul is being kept on Kessler's boat. Which is what they mentioned that he that at the hospital that Kessler's going on vacation. He's going to go take his boat out. So Magnum and Rick get down to the dock. There's a kind of an awkward shot of uh, Magnum like running off the dock and jumping onto the back of the boat. But it's a cool stunt. Uh, yeah, it's a cool stunt. The reason I say it's awkward is because there's like the wide shot of the clearly the stuntman running and leaping at the back of the boat, and it's obvious from the arc of the jump that the stuntman did not actually land it. Yeah. And then you cut to a shot from the boat of Tom Selleck, like grabbing onto the back railing and then pulling himself up. And you're like, eh, okay. I mean, it's not bad. I didn't think it was like, I, I was like, oh, it bothered amazing. me probably more than it bothered you or most people, but it bothered me. Yeah. I, I thought it was okay. I'd be happy if we could do a stunt like that. Yeah. That'd be sweet. But we, would, we wouldn't have a stunt man. It would just still be like me doing it. <laughs> Once on the boat, Magnum goes inside and finds Lena now out of her disguise, crying over Saul and is like, they killed him, they killed him, the, you know, the Nazis killed him. And Magnum raises his gun at her and is like, look, I know what's going on. You know, cute trick with the tattoo. When did you get that put on? You know, because I found the, the, the picture and you obviously didn't, didn't have it before. And uh, Lena goes fully unhinged. Yeah, she, she just goes off like... She's just, also clutching a blood-covered blood scalpel the entire time. Yeah, but she just starts screaming at him, just like, it was war. Yeah, and like, we we lived like them, but they we didn't live like them on the inside. And he's just like, holy crap. Yeah, like, right? wow, you are like maybe laying it on a little thick, but it's like, wow, you're a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, he's like, no, the Holocaust is not okay. And she's like, ah, Jews, blah. And it's like, ah. And then shows her gripping the scalpel. It cuts to an exterior shot of the boat and then cuts to the lighthearted aftermath scene. This is interesting. On the DVD that we watched, that's what happened. And on syndication, that's what happened. When the episode originally aired, it showed her gripping the scalpel. Sort of like menacingly towards Magnum. As it, as it did when we saw it. But when it cut to the exterior shot of the boat, you hear a gunshot. Like, like, because he tells her it's over, Lena, and she's like, "I guess it is." But the "I guess it's over" is is her being like contrite. She's like, "You're you're right. You have a gun, whatever." And then it's just assumed that he takes her in. Mm -hmm. But when it was originally aired, he shoots her. So I don't know where we call the 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 no consequence murder count on this one. Because uh, they edited edited it out of subsequent airings of the episode and on the DVD. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not okay to kill an old lady, even if she is a murderous Nazi who killed three people. Yeah, so it's a little little confusing because it's not really clear on what happened to her yeah, in the I, version I, that we watched. Well, I feel like the episode is setting it up that she is like basically mad with, she's gone, like she's basically like, I've got nothing to live for and they've killed Saul and, uh, and every, I've been discovered as a Nazi war criminal and she's just going to like suicide by Magnum basically. Like she's going to yeah. try and attack him and he's going to have to defend himself by shooting her. But the version where he kills her does make the dialogue in the following scene make more sense because it uh, cuts to the Robin Masters estate, the beach, Magnum's down on the beach, wearing some 
short shorts, by oh, yeah. the way. Like maybe like two and a half, three inches from like crotch to like the bottom of the shorts. Like I wouldn't wear shorts this short. Real short. Uh, camo, by the way. I would not look good in shorts that short, though, too. Like, Tom Selleck has a great body. All Higgins. that yogurt. <laughs> All that yogurt. <laughs> if you recall last episode. All that whole milk. Lots of protein. Lots of protein doing Any- laps. Anyhow. <laughs> so Higgins comes up because uh, Magnum's looking sort of reflective out onto the water because, again, originally when the episode was shot and conceived, he killed, killed Lena. And he's known this lady for years. Yeah. And suddenly they're... Nazis and he killed her and you know and she killed a bunch of people yeah and it's super messed up and so Higgins comes up and says uh, I was there you know Magnum's like where and Higgins says Nuremberg during the trials they all had excuses reasons for doing what they did even these so-called little fish but when you saw the films the camps you realized there were no little fish I just thought you ought to know and Magnum says thank you Higgins And then Higgins says something really actually nice to Magnum. He says, Robin Masters has some friends who are stewardesses coming in. And, you know, in light of the fact that I have been sort of incapacitated by being, you know, shot with a trank dart and still not feeling 100%, uh, I would like to defer my entertaining duties to you. Yeah. Which is actually like, Higgins has gotten mad at Magnum for, like, entertaining Robin Masters' guests before, because it's kind of like his job Mm -hmm. as, you know, master of the estate. So he is, as he says, imposing some Australian stews on Magnum. No, they don't don't refer to them as stews, though. No, no. That's only the first episode. I think maybe even the writers are like, that's dumb. Yeah. But Magnum's still kind of bummed out, rightly so. But I just like how Higgins is able to, uh, you know, lend some perspective to the version where... Magnum killed her because mm-hmm. that doesn't there's not as much reason for that in the version where it's ambiguous yeah it's just sort of like here's some stuff about how Nazis are shit well we knew that yeah but, but in, it, in this one it's like you maybe don't feel as bad about killing her because she was horrible right I mean I, I, th- I think it's fair not to feel as bad about killing her because she literally killed three people during the course of this episode <laughs> in the past several days yeah, right. She killed a completely innocent doctor, as it turns out. She killed two Mossad agents. I mean, he wasn't completely innocent. He was helping Mossad, which yeah, is Yeah, but they not... were Nazis. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying, right? That's, that's what I said earlier. The international community is like, well, you know, you shouldn't do that, but they're Nazis. Anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Also, we learned that uh, in 1946, Higgins was assigned to Suez as well and was briefly uh, visit, attended the Nuremberg trials. Higgins has had, done a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. In his in his military career, he's had a very exciting life. Yeah, and then of course Higgins says, uh, "Of course, understand this changes nothing between us. I still expect you to respect the rules and regulations that pertain to your stay on the estate. There'll be no wild parties, no outrageous liberties, no unauthorized overnight guests." Blah, 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 blah. Credits. Yeah, with like lighthearted music rolling over the background. <laughs> that was a heavy episode. That was really heavy. Also, that plot twist. Oh, my God. It happened last episode and this one. Kathleen and I absolutely did not see this coming. No, that's quite the twist, though. And and the thing is... They were the Nazis all along. So I want to talk about this briefly. Not about this specifically, but the idea of a plot twist. It's so easy to do a plot twist. Like I mentioned last episode, you know, CSI does dumb ones all the time. It's very easy to be like, no, it was actually this way. It's really hard to make it feel... Earned. Especially in an hour-long television show, right, which is like 44 minutes because you cut the commercials out. Right. It's very hard to to have it be like, to have the audience be like, oh, wow, and not, really? 
Yeah. And the thing is, what I like about the plot twist in this episode is that it feels earned mm-hmm. because they've done a lot of setting up for it. But also, when you think about the episode, Lena's Mossad story doesn't make any sense, right? But yeah. it makes a lot more sense that Mossad is hunting Nazis. But it, but it makes enough sense that when she tells it initially that the viewers and Magnum are like, okay, and it, but the thing is, sure. and it, but that's an earned twist because they've set it up that these that Magnum knows these people. He's had like sort of casual a casual relationship with them for many years. So of course he's going to initially believe them. So I I don't know. I really like it as a plot twist because I think it uh, sort of hits all the buttons of a surprise. But when you think about it, it's a logical surprise, which is the best thing. Like that's that's a best execution possible on a plot twist. Yeah, where the twist is completely reasonable within the context of the episode and the larger world that's been built. I think that's really important, and a lot of people forget that, that you can't just be like, cool, because there's a twist. Mm-hmm. And you also can't, you can't tell someone there's a twist. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's the worst thing. I hate that. This is, this is a massive digression from what we were talking about here on the, on the podcast, but it bugs the crap out of me. When uh, when marketers advertise movies with like you'll never believe the twist and it's like f you now I cannot enjoy this movie because now I will spend the entire time going what's the twist exactly no need to know did a great job of foreshadowing mm-hmm. and that's different right like there was foreshadowing and there was groundwork laid for that and then when it happens you're like ah of course right but you can't foreshadow it and then expect the twist to be a surprise and you can't just have a twist that has no basis. And the last episode with Aaron Wolf being alive and this episode with Saul and Lena, if those are their real names, actually being uh, actually being the Nazis, they were really good because you didn't see them coming. They were not foreshadowed in a way that ruined it and they it made sense with everything else that had set up. And that's tough. Mm-hmm. That is tough to do. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and watch them with sort of this knowledge that's going on, you're like, okay, there is actually some subtle foreshadowing that's going on in this, right? Kudos to the Magnum writing team for that. I can definitely see why people thought this was a really good show at the time. Also, I just want to say, though, like, we're seven episodes in. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty dark and heavy show, considering the sort of light wrapper that appears to be on it. Yeah, the last three episodes. Well, I guess the last episode was just more sort of like murder mystery caper. A uh, little, a little. It got pretty serious with, especially with all the Vietnam flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. That's not like PTSD is not a light subject. No, no, it's not. But I mean, the the episode about the IRA and then this one, like, there's some serious stuff going on. The next episode, however, is titled "The Ugliest Dog in Hawaii." So I'm assuming it'll be a little bit of a lighter fare. I mean, that's usually the sort of syndicated television uh, formula is you do like a few darker episodes and then you do a lighter one. Like that's how it works on TNG. Like if you ever get like a really heavy Picard politics episode, almost assuredly the next one is like Wesley gets into problems or it's a Geordie and Data episode, right? Yeah. So back to fun times. I'm just gonna I'm just going to tell you this right now. The dog in the next episode is named... Sir Algernon Farnsworth. I love it already. I'm super excited. I'm so happy. I can't wait to see this episode. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Our ability to do the podcast is brought to you by you, viewers like you, PBS Pledge Break, by supporting our Patreon, patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. We hugely value your support. Uh, It lets us do all the fun things that we do, including this. 
Mm-hmm. And we are thoroughly enjoying doing it, and hopefully you are as well. We've gotten lots of good feedback from you all on Twitter and on the forums. Leave a iTunes review if you're so inclined. Yeah, that would really help us get the podcast out there. Just let people know. And if you are a fan of this podcast and you know people who are friends of television and sort of television discussion and the way TV is made and or 1980s stuff and or Magnum P.I., tell them about the podcast. Yeah. It comes out every week on Tuesday. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. I feel like we should have a lighthearted sign-off here, but I, I actually kind of, um, I mean, Nazis, the Holocaust. Zeus, Apollo, get the Nazis. <laughs> they did a terrible job of that. They were actually pretty crap at it. Yeah. Well, they weren't Nazis, though. The guys who broke into the master's estate were, were Mossad. So Zeus and Apollo never had a chance. Well, I guess Lena was there, but they didn't. They, dogs don't just know that someone's a Nazi. I mean, they might. Ha- I bet Masada actually does have a Nazi sniffing dog or had one. <laughs> What's a Nazi sniffing dog? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, well, how do you train for that? I don't know. You just make it sniff a lot of racists, I guess. Just be like anti Semites. Like, get a bunch of bigots and then a bunch of like normal people and just have them sniff. And I, I don't know. Someone needs to I feel to like I shouldn't a, even make jokes about this. Someone, really? I think a Nazi sniffing dog is hilarious. I mean, hopefully it's just a corpse-sniffing dog at this point, but...